Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. This is Ashley. This is Mallory. And we're back with you guys. I don't ever know what to say after <laughs> I know. that. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> it's just like the same thing. Like, we're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. Wow. Cool. We're coming at you with a mini today. Yes, we are. Because I didn't know what I was, still don't know what I'm going to do for the next one. <laughs> and I'm about to go on a quote-unquote trip next week. So, A staycation. A staycation, but we are staying in an Airbnb. Oh, but you're in the same area but I'm where not you live. Leaving, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not really leaving. That's cool that you got a place. That'll make it easier. Yeah, my mom is gonna come and stay and take care of the kitties. That's awesome. She was like, "I'm so excited" because I was I I pitched it to her as. Do you want to come stay at my house, take care of the cats, and get away from Mama? So my grandma <laughs> lives with her, and it's not her mom; it's my dad's mom. Uh-huh. And they just—I mean—they drive each other insane. Oh my god! They're basically mortal enemies without like really being mortal enemies. Like oh my they're, gosh. they still like act. They have. Oh yes, of course. Your mom. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know how to explain it, but well, your mom hates me. But every time she sees me, she's like, "Oh hi." <laughs> On the outside, just super nice. Yes. <laughs> Although my, so I have noticed since my grandma can't hear as well. I mean, she's ninety-five, so. Oh my but, god. Yeah, it's crazy, and she's still in like amazing. So health, she, Mama's gonna be able to take care of herself. So you? my cousin lives there with her too. So he, she's not gonna be alone. Anyway, they drive each other nuts, and so my mom's like, "I'm so excited." I'm so excited. (laughs) I love the master manipulator in you. (laughs) I learned from the best. Yes. Speaking of my mother. (laughs) That's true. No hate, Denise. She's never going to listen to this. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, tell everyone where you're going on your staycation. So, we're huge nerds. As you may or may not gather have gathered by now, um, we're going to a convention in Atlanta. I guess you all know that we live in Atlanta anyway, um, mm-hmm. or around the area. <laughs> um, it's called Dragon Con. We go every single year. It's huge. There's like I don't even know, like fifty, sixty thousand people there every year. Mm-hmm. Last year we went. I got COVID right afterwards. It was really great. That's right. Yeah. Oh my god! So, I've and got a it's, pile of hand sanitizer, and I've got to get masks. But it's going around big time, bad time again. <laughs> I am going to kill myself if I get COVID again. Well, Dragon Con should be fun. Are there any like speakers that are going to be there that are interesting? So, there's not a. It's really weird this year with the writer strike. Oh yeah, because. I think they're, well, from what Brent was telling me, nobody is really allowed to talk about what they've worked on or what they're working on. So it's going to be really weird. Like, I don't know. A ton of people have canceled, and I don't even know. Honestly, I don't even know. I think Elijah Wood is going to be there. And I can't remember. <laughs> That's the only name I'm remembering right now that <laughs> I know that you would know. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how. 
how it's gonna go it's gonna be weird well it'll be fun it'll still be be fun i don't even like i like going to the panels sometimes but the dance parties are probably the most fun i'm there to let loose baby (laughs) i'm there to relive my 20s to let your freak flag fly (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) i'm there to people watch too and just like do whatever the fuck I want in downtown Atlanta for four days. Well, I have a really cool event coming up next what? month. I'm going to Monster Truck Jam. What? <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, because Adrian is obsessed with Monster Trucks mm, and mm. Monster Truck Jam's coming. Oh my God, he is going to lose his mind. Yeah, I got him like the earmuffs so it's not super loud. Oh, we got good. really good seats. Oh my God. Really expensive. Really? But he that, is I, going to love it. If he yes. doesn't love it, I'm going to die. He will fucking love it. I mean, we watch monster trucks on TV all the time. He will remember that for the rest of his life. Yeah, I hope. My mom wanted to do the lake um, on Labor Day weekend, but I told her I don't think so because have you heard of this like flesh-eating bacteria? Yes, yes I have. I mean, I've heard of it. Over the years, I've heard cases of... I don't know if it's the same bacteria, but... Well, like, a young girl, like a teenager, was killed because she, like, inhaled water up her nose, and it, like, the bacteria started eating away her brain, and she died. And I think it was in Florida. And it's because of the intense heat and standing water, like, I guess it, like, breeds extra bacteria in the water, and, like... I don't know where you guys live, but here in Georgia, it has been record high heat. Like, yeah, they've canceled school. They started cancel like letting out oh, school. Shit. They, um, you know, football started for a lot of the high schools, and they have like made the game times later because it is so hot. Just to give you an idea, it's around like. 97 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, but the heat but index. The, but the humidity here in the south is so high that it feels like 20 degrees higher, I feel like. Well, yeah. I saw the heat index the other day. It was like 115. Oh, my God. It was crazy. And I actually talked to somebody at work. I talked to somebody from one of our uh, Wisconsin groups, and they said their heat index up there just this past week was 100 Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? In Wisconsin. Yes. Um, My husband has been out of town for work um, the last week. He was in Spokane, Washington. He said the weather was nice. Like, it was a nice, cool temperature. But there have been fires over there, as well as, like, in Canada, like, forest fires. So the smoke has been really bad. But he flew in last night, like, midnight, and he said when he got out of the airport and walked outside it was midnight and it was like he was like what the fuck it's like a hundred degrees outside he was like what is happening it is disgusting i know like literally walking from my car to work oh my god i thank jesus i work from home it's so bad it's so bad but i'll walk outside to water my plants every day and it I mean, I'm out there less than 10 minutes, and I'm already sweating. Like your skin burns. Yeah. If you're in the sun, immediately your skin feels like it's roasting. Yeah. It's terrible. 
And today I grilled chicken. <laughs> and I had to just, I didn't spend any time outside longer than I needed to. I just put the chicken on the grill, went back inside, and then checked on it like every few minutes because it's just too hot. It's too fucking hot. Yeah. And I um, went to a Braves game on Wednesday. Oh, God. It was at 7 p.m., but it was still like 95 degrees. Ugh. It was a great game. We played against the Mets, so we crushed them. It was a great game, but I was drenched. I could feel like sweat trickles all over my body. And like I didn't even want to stand up because I knew the back of my dress was going to be soaking yes. wet. Yes. Well, especially in those chairs, too. Your butt just, it just. It just adheres. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. If you live somewhere hotter, I'm sorry we're bitching about this, but it's so hot. I doubt anyone lives anywhere hotter than this. With the humidity. Yeah. The humidity is a huge problem. It's not a dry heat. Like, yeah. if it were 102 degrees in, like, Utah, that's completely different. Yeah. Than 97 degrees in Georgia. I feel Georgia. like the only worst place is probably Louisiana, because it is, like... Swamp. Florida. Like, yeah, Florida's probably really bad right now. Tudor went to Miami a couple weeks ago, and he said it was like... I have to ask him if it was worse in Miami than it is here now. Yeah, because yeah. Because it has been so bad this week. Ugh. Anyway. Absolutely horrible. <laughs> have you been following any, like, cases lately or stories? Um... I know that something happened with Brian Koberger recently. Yeah, he um, he had a hearing or something like that. He waived his right for a speedy trial. That's right. That's what it was. Which basically means his team needs more time to work on their case mm-hmm. because he's guilty as fuck. <laughs> yeah, good. I mean, you're sitting in jail either way, dude, so I guess whatever. But it's just like prolonging the inevitable for him yeah it is absolutely. and also like dragging out the pain for his for all the families involved that's the problem is he's not letting the families just get it over on. with yeah because they cannot move on until this is over like ugh. so <sighs> there's been one thing that's been weighing on my mind it's been um a local case to us yes yeah. the story of josiah mitchell it's a two-year-old boy who was reported missing by his father, or not missing, but kidnapped. The father um, called 911 saying that he was held at gunpoint and his son was taken from him. Mm-hmm. It was like a burglary or something. They couldn't find any evidence that it was some kind of like armed robbery, but the dad was like guilty of some kind of like gun violence. And so there was like a warrant or something out for his arrest and yeah. he got arrested and now he's a person of interest. There was never a robbery. They've been trying to find this little boy. They've been looking everywhere. The mom has been posting on Facebook incessantly. Like I can't even imagine. Mm-mm. She's just like, where's my baby? I can't breathe without my baby. And it makes me sick. The pictures of this little boy are so adorable. He's super cute. And, um, They just recently found a body of a toddler at a waste collection site not far from where he was reported missing. And it's 
pretty much assumed that it's him, although it'll probably take a little bit to confirm, but... It's it, the description. Yeah, and it's... I, I've not been able to stop thinking about this, because it's just... I People are so sick. Like, what happened? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Anyone would have taken that baby to save that baby. Oh, I know. Like, if he didn't want his son... Yeah. Or if something was going on, like anyone would have taken him. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what happened, Tons but of like people would have taken him. But it breaks my heart. I, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, you just think about like what triggered this. I mean, I deal with a lot of child abuse cases at work and it's just sickening to sit there and have somebody tell you the parents have been arrested. These are all the injuries that the child sustained, and they died. Anyway, that has been weighing on me a lot, so I've been keeping an eye out on what's going on with that. Other yeah, that'll be that. interesting to see what happens and if the dad truly is, which it seems like, but the perpetrator. Ugh. Horrible. Well... <laughs> You probably have some amazing I, stories to tell me tonight. I feel really bad about <laughs> telling you my story now because um, it's not in the same category, but it is relating to children. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I told you. it's not, That's why I didn't want to do it last because it's going to be a total downer. I'm really over the, that kind of content. Yeah. But I feel like it's important to talk about, too, at the same time. Well, it is. And my um, story that I'm going to tell you is a good reason why it's great to talk about this stuff, um, which you'll see. But, well, do you have anything else you want to Should we talk about the email we received, oh! Mallory? Oh, my God. Yes. Holy shit, we've received the best email ever. Oh my god. <laughs> Last night, Ashley texted me and she was like, we just got the nicest email ever. And of course, I like, to be honest, I never check the fucking email I check ever. it every day, guys. Seriously? <laughs> I do. I have a routine. I check the Spotify. I check the Apple Podcasts. I check the Captivate. I check the email. Like It's like an obsessive compulsive thing. Literally, I almost cried because we have never I mean people have said really nice things about us don't get us wrong it's just that this one was it was a long email and the things that were said were just I mean I don't know it was super complimentary and really made it literally spoke to who we both are as people and yes. like the things that we do that make them laugh like our I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it's not like every day people in my life are telling me kind things about myself, like at work. Right. <laughs> I do a good job at work, but it's not like every day that someone like takes the time to write me a huge email outlining the things they like about me. Yeah. And it's not like every day a person in my life, whatever, like takes the time to like stop and write like this full on fucking email about like yeah. everything that they love and like keep going tell them like you know yeah it, it was so <sighs> nice and 
appreciating what we do, appreciating the time we spend in like putting this together and acknowledging that we like it and that we're funny and awesome, <laughs> which we are. <laughs> anyway, it came from a listener in Australia named yes. Eden. Yes. And we'd just like to say thank you so much for writing that. Like it truly, oh my God, please don't cry. It made me so happy. Um, it was I, just really, it was so nice. Thank you so much, Eden, for writing that email. It meant yeah, we a really lot. appreciate that. For sure. Like, I can't, I mean, I wrote a really long email back. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I'm sure you, you, you get it by now. We'll stop gushing over it. But it was just, it was great. It, it made our month. Yes. For sure. So. Okay, Mallory, get into your fucking terrible story that okay. you're about to tell me. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not that long. Um, I could probably do a longer version of this, but given the nature of the subject, it's probably just better doing it short. All right. So, just kind of a preface. And I hope no one from work listens to this, because when I have downtime at work... I go on Google Maps and I just explore the world. Like, that is like my favorite thing to do. And this past week, my thing has been finding like remote ass islands in the middle of the ocean. Yes. And I did this before, obviously, because I actually knew about what I'm going to talk about a few years ago. But I came across it again this week when I was doing my exploration and um, decided it would be a good thing to cover because, uh, well, you'll see. Anyway. <laughs> so. Um, oh, I also love to do that. Like, I love to find random ass, like, little tiny flecks in the ocean. Yes. And zoom in on them. Like, what is this? I love it. And then and looking then, at the pictures, I'm like, who lives here? I know. And then <laughs> I go and research, like, what the people are and, like, all this kind of crap. It's so interesting to yeah. me. So interesting. So... What I'm going to talk about today is um, there's a group of islands in the South Pacific Ocean called the Pitcairn Islands. It's a group of four volcanic islands that form the sole British overseas territory in the Pacific Ocean. There are four islands. One is called Pitcairn, one's called Henderson, one's called Ducie, D-U-C-I-E, I don't know, and then another one, Oeno, O-E-N-O. And they're scattered across several hundred miles of ocean and have a combined land area of about 18 square miles. So they're small. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, And Henderson Island actually accounts for 86% of the land area, but only Pitcairn Island is inhabited. Hmm. I guess it inhabited. Where (laughs) is this in relation to all the other, like, continents? Well, it's funny you ask. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see that red dot oh right God. there? Shit, man. That's it like is in the middle of nowhere. Far as fuck. So it's literally in the center between New Zealand and South America. Yep. So New Zealand is closer. Um, they get a lot of their, all their supply ships come from New Zealand, but they're, they are closer to French Polynesia and the Cook Islands. Um, and then also Easter Island, which is to the east. Oh. So. Wow. Um, so it's not easy to reach Pitcairn Island. 
like we said, it's situated roughly halfway between New Zealand and Chile, and it is the world's most remote inhabited place. So assuming you start your journey from London, you have to fly multiple connecting flights to reach Tahiti, which will take at least 24 hours. So from Tahiti, you have to fly to Mangareva, which is the largest island in French Polynesia and the closest place to the Pitcairn Islands with an airport. So they don't have an airport there at Pitcairn Islands at all. Yeah. Like, so they have to take a boat? You gotta. You yeah, because I was like, they don't really have many miles to, like, land a, no. a plane on. <laughs> I mean, the inhabited island is, I think, two miles wide. Yeah. So the flight takes about five and a half hours, but the problem is it only operates once a week. So you have to hang out in Tahiti for a week. <laughs> Unless you plan deal. it a little. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I wrote here, which is not necessarily a bad thing if you have the time. But um, once you reach Mangareva, I'm not saying that right, I'm sure. Um, you still need to catch a boat to reach the Pitcairn Islands, which is another 330 miles away. And if you miss this boat, you got to wait three months for the next one. Oh, my. Yeah. So it takes about 32 hours on the boat to get there. That's got to feel like like you're really trapped and isolated. Like, oh my God. Holy shit. I can't Seriously. get out of here. Yeah. And it's my understanding that once you leave like Tahiti or if you're coming from New Zealand or whatever, you lose cell service and you're done. That's it. Like no more until you get back to the mainland. But I do think they actually have Starlink internet service now. And it's just very recently that they got that set up. It was in the last six months, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so after 32 hours on the boat, you finally reach the island, thousands of miles away from civilization. Or, you know, I guess Tahiti is civilized, but <laughs> mainland. And it's beautiful there. Blue, turquoise waters lush tropical vegetation there are only about 50 people living on the island what 50 that's it and the inhabitants of this tiny island are desperately trying to attract new residents but nobody's interested i think that's... only one person has been interested in the past in recently i don't know i'm interested you're not gonna there are normal reasons to not be interested in living on a remote island. Like I said, no cell service. They have internet, but I mean, it's very a very self-sufficient lifestyle. They only get supplies every three months. You don't have, you know, you have to grow your own food, have livestock, fish for food mm -hmm. all the time. Like that's a very different lifestyle than we leave lead to here. It's giving the beach. It's giving lost. Yes. And I kind of always have like fantasized about that kind of life, but I know I probably would hate it if I were actually living it. Long term, I think it would be a struggle, but yeah. I would definitely go for like, if I could afford all the transportation to go, you know, hang for a week or something. <laughs> Did you ever see that movie, The Beach, with Leonardo DiCaprio, where mm -hmm. there's like this like secret island and it's like this cult that 
lives on a secret island Ooh, and they like will not allow outsiders and they are like completely self-sufficient and then they go back to the mainland for supplies but like uh, no I it, they seen start that. like turning against each other and it's oh, interesting shit. oh shit <laughs> i wish that's what my story was about <laughs> so anyway nobody wants to live there you would think, you know, lifestyle is too hard to get used to, whatever. But um, the real reason nobody really wants to chill with the inhabitants there is there is a dark legacy of child sex abuse <gasps> that hangs around the small community of Pitcairn Islands what the fuck? to this day. In 2004, six men were jailed for child sex offenses in a scandal that made headlines worldwide. So, going back a bit, well, a lot, the history of the Pitcairn Islands starts with a mutiny on the ship HMS Bounty in 1789 when Captain William Bly was ousted by his second-in-command, Fletcher Christian, and cast adrift in a dinghy. (laughs) A dinghy. A dinghy. A ding-dang-dong-dinghy. What's that fucking song? Ooh, you touched my tra-la-la. Ooh, my ding-ding-dong. My (laughs) ding-dang-dingy. Dingy-dingy-dong. Anyways, the mutineers went to Tahiti, and 16 of them stayed ashore, but the remaining eight, along with Fletcher Christian and some Tahitians, landed on Pitcairn in 1790. In 1793, the mutineers and the Tahitians fought a war that killed all the male Tahitians and four of the mutineers, including Christian. And when a U.S. ship visited in 1808, only one mutineer, John Adams, was still alive with nine women and some children. Um, Damn. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. And it's... Well, I'll tell you in a second. So, in 1825, a British ship arrived and then formally granted Adams amnesty, and then he served as the leader of the Pitcairn community until he died in 1829. So the reason I even said that is because most of the island's residents today are related to those people. That's wild. Isn't that crazy? Yes. They have... Is it incestual? It's more... I learned a word the other day. What the fuck is it? What the fuck is this word? I learned it because I was reading about a different super remote island that has like maybe 200 people on the island and they have issues like asthma and stuff because of their it's not they didn't call it inbreeding it's like a degree less than inbreeding because there's yeah they're so close yeah in genetic lines i guess they're right still close in genetic lines but it's not like sisters fucking brothers type yeah of thing, it's like, you know? <laughs> like second and third cousins right exactly which yeah. makes it not oh, great brother. um so and i think there have been some outsiders that come like to the island and get married and stuff i read an ama by a lady that married into the christian family do you need to explain what an ama is I guess I didn't explain what an AMA is in my Reddit episode. Um, It's an ask me anything. So basically you go on Reddit and um, 
say, I'm whatever the hell that's interesting. Ask me anything. And then people mm-hmm. ask questions and you answer them. She was from New Zealand and met her husband and through an ex-boyfriend, I think, and ended up moving to Pitcairn. Anyway, so yeah, most of the island's residents trace their lineage from Fletcher Christian and the seven other British sailors. You know, to outward appearances, they're happy-go-lucky islanders, but from the but from inside, the picture was far uglier between the Pitcairn families with petty feuds, gossip, and rampant sexual abuse that had become a norm over the generations. God. So, it's a British territory. They send a police officer, a single police officer. They only won a police officer on the island. (laughs) (laughs) And Gail Cox was stationed on the island in 1999. Gail Cox? She a lady? Yeah. The only police officer. Wow. Get him, Gail. So Gail began investigating this. I guess she had heard or like, I don't know if she, like a kid told her or something because... It's so disturbing. When I was reading up on this with different articles and things, it had been so common and frequent that it was just normal. It was just normal to everybody on the island. Even the kids, they were like, well, I'll I'll read you a quote from one of them in a minute, but it's crazy. And so Gail was like, this is not normal. And the case finally culminated on the morning of September 29th, 2004, when seven Pitcairn residents, including the mayor of the island, Steve Christian, who was a direct descendant of Fletcher Christian, were accused of sexual offenses and convicted. The details that emerged were shocking. I've already explained that there's abuse in my story. I just, I just want to take a second, trigger warning, okay? If you, if you are not comfortable with this material, just maybe skip forward, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. The details that emerged were shocking. Pitcairn had a secret sex culture in which adultery was routine and pervasive everywhere. The sexual fondling of infants and abuse of children was not only accepted as a way of life, but considered part of a longtime island practice of, quote, breaking in girls as young as 10. Isn't that fucked? Yes. When was that, like, written? Is this still a thing? So the latest I have heard, and this is from that AMA I read, the late, and that was from eight years ago, um, People obviously asked about this because I guess they knew that this had happened. And she said that it's no longer like a accepted thing or like a, I, I don't know. It, so, okay, this is what's crazy about, this is so fucked, dude. Everything is so fucked. So this lady was like, oh yeah, we do, we take measures now to protect our children blah 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 it's no longer like an accepted thing that people just do this or whatever so i read through the entire comment section and there was somebody that commented i think a month ago and obviously this ama was from eight years ago so 
nobody had like replied to this mm-hmm. at all. It was just some random person that stumbled across it, I guess, like me. And they linked to an article, I think it was, and said, so Nadine is her name. Nadine's husband is Randy Christian, who is the son of Steve Christian, who we already know has been accused of sexual offense. And Randy is also one of them that was accused of raping a girl with his brother. And this lady was married to him. (laughs) And she's like, I don't know. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. It's super fucked up. So according to a girl who testified against Steve, trigger warning once again, it's a quote describing things that happened to this little girl. I was 11 when Steve and two of his friends grabbed me, and then as the other two pinned me down, he raped me. Afterward, Steve told his friends, your turn if you want. They declined, and the three of them ran off laughing. When asked why she did not complain to her parents, she said, they couldn't do anything about it. There's nobody on the island that you could turn to for anything like this. That is the way of life on Pitcairn. You get abused, you get raped. It's the normal way of life on Pitcairn when I was growing up. Isn't this so crazy? Dude. Yeah, when I'm like browsing Google, looking at these islands, I'm not thinking about that. No! You're thinking, oh, it's this tropical paradise, and these people just like live cool, like isolated lives. They they make uh, pina coladas. (laughs) They're like fishing and making eating tree houses. Fresh fruits and. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, your story actually makes a lot more sense because they're remote. They have so many, like, so little people on the island. Right. There's really no way to get get out. Right. No. There's no one to go to. You can only leave every three months. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, my God. Yeah. I do not want to live there. Nope. Me neither. So, Steve was followed by six other prominent islanders who were accused of multiple cases of rape and sexual abuse by other girls. Last to face court was Steve Christian's 30-year-old son, Randy, who I is the husband of the lady who did the AMA, um, who was accused of gagging and raping 10-year-old Belinda in a banana grove along with his younger brother, Sean. The two men allegedly took turns to hold her down and raped her in turns. Steve Christian was not repentant until the very end as he tried justifying his crimes, citing that it was consensual sex. He said, quote, it was all consensual sex. They had nothing else to do. And if I had done so, then every man on the island should go to jail. The island gossip is dominated by sex. I don't know what that means. Disgusting. Uh, totally disgusting. But, and, I, okay, I am in no way trying to <laughs> defend this guy, but it, it just it it just seems more possible there because they're so cut off from the rest of the world. That they, like, made their own... Yeah, they made their own norm. Yeah, their own norm. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
Do you think that like people are born with an inherent moral compass? Ooh, that's a deep question. Because <laughs> I um, feel like deep down everyone kind of knows that's not right. And you can tell by the person that you're interacting with. Like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? If they're, like, fucking fighting to get away from you or... Yeah, but... I don't know. At the same time, we are taught right from wrong very fucking... Like, from the beginning. So you pick up on these things, like, from your parents. Unless you had a shit... I don't know. I don't know. Either, you know, you're right. So it can be, you know from the very beginning kind of ingrained in you but I I don't know I'd, so maybe these people are just like animalistic yeah I'm now I'm thinking like okay how do like those like feral children like yeah did they know right from wrong and it doesn't seem like they really kind of do because they just like do whatever that's the fuck true. they want that's true <laughs> they just want to survive and meet their needs yeah wow that's wild. I know. Because we are, I mean, at the end of the fucking day, we are animals. And we have animalistic behavior, but we're just domesticated. Like, we're house cats. Wow. <laughs> Bruh. I'm a big, fat, tabby cat. <laughs> Me too. Okay, so after the court case in October 2004, all six men were found guilty of 35 offenses and four received prison sentences in the island's newly built jail. Jail. <laughs> jail. <laughs> God damn it. Jail. I don't want to say jail. Jail. That's how my mom says jail. 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 It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. He's going to jail. He's going to jail. <laughs> okay. Anyways. This is Steve Christian, who was the mayor um, that was convicted. He was charged with a total of six rapes and four indecent assaults committed between 1964 and 1975. He pleaded not guilty to all charges of rape and sexual abuse. He admitted to two sexual encounters with underage females, which he said, though, were consensual. Is that why he has a black eye? I think this is a more recent picture, so I don't think so. But who knows? I mean, 1964 to 1975 sounds unre- unreasonable to me because the case was in, or the um, trial was in 2004. So there's no way he stopped in 1975. Steve was convicted of five rapes and cleared of four indecent assaults and one rape. He was sentenced to drum roll, please. Three years imprisonment where was he imprisoned <laughs> on the island they have a jail there it's like a treehouse it's probably just like a fucking room with bars on it or something like it's like Mayberry. a fucking um <laughs> like stick bars <laughs> it's it's just fucking yeah just sticks from the jungle wow i don't know no i'm kidding it, it's an actual building but oh okay it is yeah <laughs> So, still protesting his innocence and refusing to resign, he was dismissed from office on October 30th, 2004, by the governor. Randy Christian, his son, Steve's son, was chairman of the internal committee, which I guess 
basically made him his father's like deputy mayor or something. He faced five charges of rape and seven charges of indecent assault against four women between 1988 and 1999. He also was accused of targeting one girl from the age of five or seven, abusing her repeatedly over the next decade. He admitted to having underage sex with a girl of 11 or 12. He was convicted of four rapes and five indecent assault charges, but cleared of one rape and two indecent assault charges. His six-year prison sentence was the longest sentence that anyone got for any of this. Wild. He also refused to resign, and the governor dismissed him from the position also on October 30th. Len Carlisle Brown, Steve Christian's father-in-law. So all these people are still related to this original dude. This guy looks the worst. Yeah, he's dead now. Um, He was convicted of two rapes. Len refused to apologize. He said to do so would be quote-unquote fraudulent. He was sentenced to two years. And because he was so old at the time, he was 80-something, I think, he was actually allowed to apply for house arrest instead. Oh, how nice. Dave Brown who is Len's son, the guy that I just told you about, pleaded guilty to two charges of indecent assault, one charge of molesting, denied 12 other charges, including trigger fucking warning, one of forcing a five-year-old girl to give him oral sex. Oh my God. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. It's terrible. And he's wearing an Earth, Wind, and Fire t-shirt? Stop. Dude. Get out. Yeah, I don't know. Ugh. He was found guilty of nine indecent assaults against three girls, but was cleared of four charges of indecent assault and two of gross indecency. He told a journalist that he hated reporters and was sick of their lives, I guess, because it made... I think it was, like, big news in England because it's... a British territory so anyway he did at one point say that he quote regretted any distress caused would you like to guess what his sentence was um six months zero oh he was sentenced to 400 hours community service I am disappointed and then was ordered to undergo counseling wow I think this is just a advertising pitch for all disgusting child abusers to just find themselves a desert island and dude just it kind of is yeah. like cuz to be honest with you you can probably still get away with it there yeah. to this day. It sounds like it. I don't know. I could be wrong, but yikes, man. Dennis Christian another Christian pleaded guilty to two charges of sexual assault um, one indecent assault against young girls he apparently emailed his principal victim to apologize and express his deep remorse I don't know why he emailed them because they live probably five seconds away from each other 
Also, what are they eating? They all have these huge guts. Like, are they eating... I noticed that. Lots of pork or something? Or um, They eat a lot of fish, which I... I'm really confused about that, too, because it seems like they have a very physical lifestyle. Yeah. And it seems like at least the food available on the island is healthy. I have looked at, like, a few of their Facebook groups and things like that. There are a lot of big people on the island. (laughs) I wonder if they have, like, wild hogs and they just, like, eat pork and drink. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. 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 Yeah, maybe they drink a lot. I don't know. <laughs> he got even less community service. He got 300 hours and then also was ordered to undergo counseling. Carlisle Young, also he was a descendant of the HMS Bounty midshipman Ned Young. One charge of rape, seven of indecent assault over a period of 20 years. Um, convicted of one rape and six indecent assaults and um, was cleared of one indecent assault charge. He was sentenced to five years, so almost the max that anyone got. And then the last guy, Jay Warren. <laughs> oh my God. He Okay, can I just say that this man <laughs> is wearing a plaid collared shirt tucked into a swimsuit? With flip-flops. That's the island life, Ashley. Okay. With a mustache, by the way. And absolutely zero neck. (laughs) Yeah. And if you'll notice, a lot of these people look exactly like each other. Yes. Because they're all related. This is Jay Warren. He is a former magistrate, which I think is like a lawyer. Or like a judge, maybe, or something. Damn. With the basketball shorts, though. Yeah, but, I mean, he was a magistrate on the Pitcairn Island, so. (laughs) He served from 1990 to 1999. He only had an indecent assault charge, which he was cleared of. Today, a British civil servant and a police officer are permanently stationed on the island to improve child protection. But almost 20 years later, I mean, the scars of the sexual abuse have not been completely forgotten. I mean, now they basically have to, well either repair their image by ignoring it or actually changing and you know with 50 people that live on the island they don't get many new people coming in and you know kind of incorporating their new way of life or I don't know what I'm trying to say but basically these like old child molesters are living there yeah it's I mean they're still it's the same people the same like they're probably all out like with two okay they have an additional police officer like really how are they making sure that this is not happening yeah so but take, ship these child molesters off to a different area yes take them away absolutely they in my opinion should have been imprisoned in New Zealand and for much longer than mm-hmm. a fucking 6 years max or but, like in Britain like where are they like where's their they're own, they're owned by they're owned they're they are a British territory so yeah I mean England for sure or wherever but I think isn't New Zealand a British territory Australia is oh I don't know so I was thinking and New Zealand is like the closest that's the only yeah. reason I said that but anyway and they like 
that's like where they go to like have babies. That's where they go. Okay. They send their kids to school there. Um, I think because they only teach kids from a certain age and then they get sent when they're in like high school or something to New Zealand. But anyway, but they, uh, I mean, they want more people to come to the island and kind of create, they want more people with a bigger population. They want to kind of rebuild their island. And this person is, I don't know their name, but in this article, they're quoted as saying, this is a um, native says, we've been appealing for more people to boost the population. And we've had many inquiries, but only one person has applied to move to Pitcairn. The island has survived on British government handouts since 2004, and we are now trying to become self-sufficient again. So, yeah, I mean, they I think most of them want to move on from their horrible history. But, I mean, we'll see if that happens. The only way it's going to change is if they do get more outsiders that just do not tolerate this shit. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, I can understand wanting to attract more people and things like that. And it's it's funny because, I mean, I read this in this article and then I went on, um, they have a, um Instagram and whoever runs it, like, just posts, you know, things from around the island. Like, it's such a beautiful island. And um, somebody had commented saying, I would love to live there if I could convince my spouse or something like that and then they commented underneath that and they were like what can we do to get you to move here what can we do like they're desperate for people to come and wow uh, that's kind of sketchy it's crazy so anyways that's all i got yikes (laughs) sorry everyone that's cool like that you found that just by like surfing google maps i can't even believe i found the island because it's so small in the middle of nowhere yeah like for real you're probably um the only person who really knows about this well apparently there are a couple others because they knew about it in the ama but i don't think at least in like the u.s or anywhere outside of the uk like i feel like people really just don't even know this place exists at all man so Anyways. That was interesting. Jeez, makes me want to like figure out what's going on in these other little islands. That... I know. Well, do you want to take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. Okay, we will be back. Beerby, be beerby. Hello, everyone. We're back. We're back, baby. Okay, now it's my turn to tell a story. And this was actually recommended from Eden. Who sent us the amazing email. Um, our story tonight takes place in the year of 1998. Wow. And there were a few interesting things that were happening during this time. I'd just like to run would, you off a little list. I would love to reminisce. Okay. I thought you would find this one interesting. The Lunar Prospector spacecraft was launched into orbit around the moon and later finds evidence for frozen water and soil in permanently shadowed craters near the moon's poles. I did not know about that. What? I vaguely remember when they're like, oh my god, they found water on the moon. I remember when they said they found water on Mars, but that was way later. 
another cool thing that happened was that 19 European nations agreed to forbid human cloning. Oh, uh, was this around the time where they cloned Dolly or whatever the sheep? The sheep, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, another cool thing that happened in 1998, Drudge Report breaks the story about U.S. President Bill Clinton's alleged affair with Monica Lewinsky. Oh, shit. Of course I remember that. Another cool thing was Titanic wins 11 Oscars, including Best Picture. Okay, 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 okay. And then another thing was Google was founded in Menlo Park, California by Stanford University PhD candidates Larry Page and Sergey Brin. Interesting. So lots of crazy stuff happened in, in 1998 before the new millennium. Yeah, I wonder, so did Titanic come out in 98 or 97? Because I remember that was the same year, around the same time, that they re-released The Little Mermaid in theaters. And I went to go see it with a friend and her mom. I don't know. Because I remember being in the same class and being in line to go somewhere. (laughs) And the girl in front of me was, like, obsessed with Leonardo DiCaprio. And she was like... Have you seen Titanic? Oh my god, it's so hot. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, I haven't seen it. I'm not allowed. <laughs> and she I was, was like, oh my god, I have Also obsessed with Leonardo DiCaprio. He was in like all the teen beat, tiger beat, whatever, teen bop mm-hmm. magazines. Um, yeah, he was a. And now he's just. He was hot shit back then. He was. He's just like a class A scoundrel now yeah i think he's um not quite left that era behind him because he can't seem to date anyone out of that age range i know it's pretty so lame okay whoops so those were just a few things that were happening during this time just to put it into context but we're going to be talking about a reality show that aired in japan from january 1998 till it was canceled in september of 2002 Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and give a little warning. Forgive my pronunciation of any of these words because I don't know Japanese, but um, the show was called Tempa Shonen, which means do not proceed, crazy youth, in Japanese. This show came out right before reality TV started getting really big in the U.S., but it wasn't the first popular reality TV show. Shows portraying ordinary people in unscripted situations are almost as old as TV itself. The first of note was Candid Camera, Mm -hmm. in which unsuspecting people were confronted with funny, unusual situations and filmed with hidden cameras, and it first aired in 1948. No! Are you serious? Yeah. I really want to watch an episode from 1948. I remember the theme song. It was like, smile, you're on candid camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But I only saw like maybe like episodes as old as like 1970. Hmm. I never saw anything prior to that. I had no clue it was that old. I had no clue it was that old either. Holy shit. Wow. I really want to go look up old episodes now. (laughs) I know. Uh, This whole story got me like wanting to watch all these crazy shows that I completely forgot about. Well, especially with Candid Camera, because, like, you're basically looking at, like, what people would normally do 
because they're they don't know they're being filmed yeah so it'd be really interesting to go back and see like in 1945 what the hell yeah what was a weird thing that that would happen to someone right (laughs) in the u.s the two most popular reality shows were survivor and big brother which rose to popularity in 2001 It was around this time where reality TV popped off and you couldn't get away from it. There was spinoff after spinoff after spinoff. Oh my god, yeah. Bringing celebrities who fell off the map of stardom back to life. Celebrities included Flava Flav. Mm hmm. In Flavor of Love. Paris Hilton. Yep. Brett Michaels. Brett Michaels. Rock of Love. Oh my god, yes. (laughs) Christopher Knight of the Brady Bunch. He was in a show called Surreal Life. <gasps> oh my god! Remember, and he dated America's yes. Next Top Model winner Adrian. I forget her name, but holy shit, I forgot about. I totally forgot about. Also, that. Brigitte Nielsen was also on Surreal Life, and she ended up dating Flavor Flav, and yeah. they had a reality spinoff called Strange Love. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Even. Our 45th president of the United States had a reality (laughs) show. Donald Trump had his own show called The Apprentice. You're fired. You're fired. (laughs) That just reminds me of that silly slammer you had. You're fired. That's exactly how you said it. (laughs) Blah, 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 blah. You're fired. Oh, my God. Do you still have that? I don't know. I can't believe you remember that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, I only ever knew David Trump. David Trump. (laughs) Oh my god, I almost died just today. (laughs) (laughs) I love that I called him the wrong name. Oh my god, he deserves it. Oh, so good. David... (laughs) I only ever knew Donald Trump as being a reality TV show person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And, became... and for being on Home Alone. Oh, yes. That That's one it. scene. But so when he ran for president, I was just like, this is absurd. There's no way. Oh, my God, dude. I and then see. lo and behold. Yes. And guess what? Just two or three days ago. Thursday. Thursday, David Trump. David Trump was booked in the Fulton County Jail in Atlanta, in our dear home state. And also, that jail also is known for being a disgusting, terrible place. Oh yeah. Oh my God. People have died there. Did you see that video of that person doing a burnout in Atlanta? So you moved like their car? Like they, they well, actually they were doing donuts. In okay. an intersection in their car. Uh, I feel like I've seen a couple of those. <laughs> Let me just show you real fast. <laughs> also, one time I did donuts in a neighborhood in my mom's van with her in the passenger Are you seat. Serious? Just to freak her out. I was like 19 and she got so mad. <laughs> you did donuts? In a cul-de-sac. <laughs> I've never done donuts. In a van. It was so stupid. I could have rolled it. Like, <laughs> I can't believe you did that with your mom. I know. You should do it t- again when she comes to visit. <laughs> I would love it. I, I could do them right out here. I live in a cul-de-sac. 
You should. Mallory, stop doing that right now. Stop doing that. <laughs> I was laughing maniacally when it, as I was just <laughs> screeching around the cul-de-sac in her I've, minivan. I have found so many good TikToks lately. Jesus Christ. I don't even know where I'm at now. We have not even started your story. <laughs> okay. Okay. Back to Japan. Okay. It was a snowy January day in Tokyo, and dozens of young men gathered in a small room to audition for a show business-related job. That was the only description of this audition. Hmm. The men were all aspiring comedians, and this job, for many of them, was a way to get their foot in the door. The producer comes into the room and tells the men that this audition only requires one thing, luck. At that point, some men carry a table into the room. It has a white box with a red question mark on it. The men are all instructed to approach the box one at a time and pull out an envelope. Then they are asked to stand in a circle and open their envelopes on the count of three. One by one, the men discovered that their envelope was empty, except one person. 22-year-old... Tomaki Hamatsu, or as he is more commonly known by his stage name, Nasubi, which means eggplant in Japanese. He was given this nickname due to his cartoonish long face, which people compared to a Japanese eggplant. Oh, that's sad. (laughs) Nasubi opened his envelope and pulled out a piece of paper with a red circle on it. At first, he is confused. He looks around at the others and realizes that no one else has a paper. You can see it sink in, and he shouts, I'm the winner! But in Japanese. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Nisubi expects the producer to explain what he's won, but instead he grabs his arm and says, Okay, shall we go? Nisubi looks shocked and says, what, right now? And the producer responds, now, and pulls Nasubi toward the exit by his arm. Damn. The cameras capture Nasubi smiling nervously as he is pulled through the small crowd of men and out the door. He's taken out of the building and put into a van where he's blindfolded and given earmuffs so he can't see or hear anything. I would never be able to do that. Like, I cannot... If I'm... Oh my god. I have to be aware of my surroundings all the time. And if I was, oh God, I would just, I would want to throw up. It almost feel, feels like a kidnapping yes. at this point. Yeah. The car arrives at its destination and Nasubi is shuffled into another building where his blindfold and earmuffs are removed. It's a small, basically empty room containing only a table, a bunch of blank postcards, and a pen. There's also a telephone, a radio, a cushion to sit on, a single stovetop, a toilet, a shower, and a huge rack containing all of the latest issues of magazines. Hmm. So this is the room where he was brought. Weird. uh... Nasubi looks completely confused. And then the producer asks him to take off his clothes. And Nasubi's like, what? 
He looks around completely. Yeah, What's well, happening? Right now? Uh, I would like, rather this, not. This man must be joking. But he does as he's instructed, but leaves his underwear on. The producer then asks him to take his underwear off, too. Nisubi questions the man, asking if he's sure. He's like, are you sure? Like, isn't this wrong? And Isn't this TV? Like, like <laughs> I mean, there is a cameraman there. And he's like, isn't this oh, wrong? God. And he's like, he pulls down his underwear. Ooh. And... He hands his clothes over to the producer. So he's standing in this empty room, completely naked, and he's looking around, and he asks the man, so what is this? And the producer responds, can't you see? And Nisubi says, well, there's magazines and there's postcards. Is this about winning prizes? Indeed it was. The show was called Sweepstakes Life, and the premise was that Nisubi would have to live on prizes alone. Oh my god. So, uh, so he had to, like, enter sweepstakes from, like, the magazines or something? Yeah. And live off of what... Uh, what he wins. If he wins, yeah. which would probably be never. So during this time in Japan... Magazine sweepstakes were, like, all the rage. They were a really big thing, and magazines were full of them. You could win anything from household appliances to concert tickets, even a year's supply of rice. People would often joke about how one could live on prizes alone, and that's where this idea came from for the show. Interesting. That's so weird. Once Nasubi won 1 million yen, or $10,000 worth of prizes in U.S. dollars, he would be free to leave. Oh, oh, I thought you said, okay, okay, okay. So he was required to win 1 million yen, or $10,000 worth of prizes to leave this room. Gotcha, okay. That was the whole contest. I still, like, well, I don't know. I guess it might be different than, like, there, where sweepstakes were more common but i mean sweepstakes were very common in the u.s but i feel like nobody ever i mean if you entered them you're not gonna fucking win i just remember um taking the tops off of the macaroni and cheese and cereal boxes and you can like collect them and get something in return is that like the uh, school box tops yeah. or whatever? But I, I, I think this might be different. Like, I think every magazine had, like, different contests you can win, and you yeah. just had to, like, write them a letter or something. Yeah, and yeah. So this whole contest was based off of those sweepstakes prizes. So he had to earn 1 million yen, which is equivalent to $10,000 worth of prizes. So that would be the only way that he would feed or clothe himself. Oh my god. That would be through sweepstake prizes. So also, if he's just like when he enters this room and say he just immediately starts entering these sweepstakes, it's going to take like at least a day or so or more. To even, A, find out if he won it, and B, get the supplies. That's very true. 
And that's why I think this is torture. It is. It's horrible. That's crazy. There were rules. Nasubi couldn't leave and was to have no contact with the outside world. And every two hours, he was required to put little tapes into a video camera to record himself nonstop. The producer told him that someone would come by to pick up the tapes once a day. He lets him know that eventually they may take the videos and edit it into a show, but there was no guarantee that this would ever air. Unbeknownst to Nasubi, the room was also outfitted in hidden cameras. Once all that was covered, the producer and the cameraman leave. And Asubi is heard shouting, this must be a joke. This can't be real. He hadn't yeah. signed any contracts, but he had nothing better to do. So he started entering the sweepstakes. Oh my God. This is terrifying, actually. Like, I would panic if I had entered the situation. Nisubi believed the producer when he told him the show would be broadcast after filming and once all the footage had been gathered. But in reality, the experiment was being live streamed. Oh my god. Due to Nisubi's nudity, the show used new tech, which consisted of someone using a literal joystick to cover his genitals at all times. What? Yeah, so there was a live stream of his life, and since he was naked, they had to use a joystick, like a fucking arcade game, to make sure his genitals were covered at all so times. So just like aiming for the dick, the whole oh my, oh my god. They used an animated eggplant or nasubi to cover his penis. Nasubi means eggplant in Japanese. Was that something that he, was that name something that he adopted before this or after because before. of this? Okay, okay, okay. Due to his, like, yeah, extremely yeah, yeah. long face. And I've read that it, his face was 30 centimeters long. <laughs> which I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I wonder how long my face is. I have a measuring tape. I can find out. Do you want to measure our faces right now? Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to measure our faces. It's right over here. We're going to see how long our faces are compared to Nizubi. All right. How many centimeters is your face? All right. What constitutes face, though? Do I do forehead to chin? Yeah. I think so. All right. Looks like 20. Whoa. His face was so long then. (laughs) Oh, my God. Let's see what mine is. You're 19. 19. Damn, my face is longer than yours. Why the long face? (laughs) (laughs) So Mallory and I, if you want to know, have 20 centimeters, 19 centimeter long faces. And his was 30? And his was 30. And that's why he was called. Damn. Nasubi. So the segment aired each week on the survivalist game show called Susunu. Dempa Shonen, which featured other young men doing various other survival challenges. Dempa Shonen was averaging 17 million viewers each episode, 
And just to put that into perspective, that's more than the amount of people who tuned into the Game of Thrones finale. Oh, whoa. Are you serious? So that means each week this show was getting more views than the Game of Thrones finale. That's crazy. The segment contained footage of Nizubi's most embarrassing moments, complete with goofy sound effects and narration. Japan watched as Nizubi furiously entered sweepstake after sweepstake, desperate for clothing and food. He dropped weight quickly. It was estimated that he wrote 1,400 postcards a week. So did he get food at all in the first week? Nope. Oh my god. Oh my god, this is horrible. I did listen to an interview where he said that he received one slice of bread a day. From, like, the production company? The production company, company, yeah. Fuck, dude. Because it was, like, broadcasted that he didn't get anything. But, like, I think he got one slice of bread a day. And I don't know at what point these pictures were taken, but he looks really fucking skinny. Nazubi entertained himself by doing headstands, listening to the radio, and writing in a journal that was left for him. Two weeks into Nazubi's stay, he received a knock on the door. It was a delivery man with his first prize, which was some sugary drinks. Well, it's something, I guess. Some calories. Yeah. He was very grateful for that. Yeah. A few days after receiving his first prize, there was another knock on the door. It was a food delivery man with ramen and steamed vegetables. Oh, God. I bet he was just like, oh, fuck, yes. Nisubi was overjoyed. The food smelled amazing, and he was starving. Then the man asks for 1,700 yen. And Nasubi had to say, I don't have any money. No, no. Wait, why did they do this? The delivery, Who did this? The delivery man tells him that he must have the wrong address and he leaves. Oh my and God. Pretty sure that was a cruel ploy by the producers yes. on the show for entertainment. Oh my God. There is a kind of pleasure that is derived by people from another person's misfortune that happens a lot in reality TV, and yeah. it happens a lot when contestants are put through this cruel, unusual punishment, but nothing like this show in particular. After a month into a stay, Nizubi won a bag of rice. He celebrated by dancing like a fool, which entertained viewers. Yeah, but does he have any way to cook it? But his hopes were quickly dashed after he realized he would need to win a pot to cook it. He attempted to eat the rice raw, but quickly realized that he'd need to figure out a plan to cook it without a pot. Oh my god. Eventually, he came up with an idea to use an empty beverage container. He heated the rice beside the lit stove, which made a sort of porridge, which took like three hours to make. After the rice was gone, canned dog food and kibble <gasps> became his primary source of Where sustenance. Where did he win that, I guess? Yeah, he won oh dog food. Oh my god. I wouldn't have even entered that sweepstake. Like, 
The thing is, Mallory, I don't even know if he did enter sweepstakes for that or if the producers were just, just sending, sending him, him stuff to like yeah. be interesting to the viewers. Yeah, that's a really good point. This is actual like human rights violation. Totally. This is horrible. Nisupi eventually wins a stuffed animal. It was a seal and it became his confidant. So think like Wilson and Castaway. Yeah. He would carry on conversations with the toy and take it for walks around the room. Oh my god. Despite his efforts, Nisupi never won any clothes, except for a pair of lacy women's underwear, which he tried to put on, but they were too small. So I don't think that he, like, sent a postcard for lacy women's underwear. No. I'm pretty sure he probably put in, like, sweepstakes for, like, a jacket or pants or, like, a shirt. But, like, I I think the producers were like, oh, this would be funny. That screams, like, planned or, like, scripted or whatever. Nisubi's beard and nails grew longer, and his weight dropped lower, and his speech began to slow. Oh my god. Bite your nails, dude. Bite them. Yep, so I have... Dude, they're so long. (laughs) I have some pictures up on the screen. This was like six months into the competition, I guess you would say. Six months! And his nails are like fucking... They look like French tips. They're so yes, yesified. <laughs> I cannot believe he had been. Well, I don't know how long he stayed in there ultimately, but six months is insane. Yeah. The prizes kept coming, but they were no use to him. For example, he won Spice Girls tickets okay, and a bike. Great. Wow. But he was unable to use them because he couldn't leave the room. Yeah. He eventually rigged the bike into a stationary bike that provided him with some sort of stimulation. He wanted TV, but he didn't have an antenna or any way to connect a cable, so that was not an option for him. So he had to watch either nothing or static. This was an intentional move from the producers. They did not want him to know that he was already on TV. So he didn't know. He Oh, that's oh, right. No. He said he, it was a live stream. He didn't know that yet. He didn't know. He thought that like they would record everything and then eventually like edit it to be something else. Yeah. He thought he didn't think that anything was out there. He'd won a PlayStation game and a controller, but he didn't have the console. It was a torturous pattern of excitement turned disappointment. But at least he was slowly making his way to his one million yen goal. The show had become so popular within Japanese households that people were starting to decipher the location of his flat, with paparazzi, fans, and even the press standing outside without Nazubi knowing it. Because of this, the producers were forced to move Nazubi to a new location. They transported him blindfolded to a new location that was five hours away. Oh my god. When his blindfold was removed, he discovered a similar living space. 
along with all of his previously won prizes. When he questioned if he had completed the challenge, he was told he was moved in an attempt to renew his luck. So he continued writing sweepstake entries, eventually winning a large chair and desk. Nasubi was moved into yet another space after a long streak of misfortune in his entries. In this new space, his TV set became useful when he won a VCR, which he could use to play tapes that he had previously won. And then he won a PlayStation. Oh. So he could finally use his game that he won and his controller. The game was called Densha de Go, and it was a train simulator game. <laughs> God. So Rip. he. Rip. That sucks. <laughs> he played this game for multiple days straight. Like he. I mean, I guess at that point, yeah. I would at that point, he play was just a like, train simulator. <laughs> At that point, it was like the best game he had ever seen. He <laughs> played it all the time. And then he had to ultimately like stop playing because he had to keep entering the sweepstakes so he could meet his goal and leave this room. Oh, my God. Uh, this is really horrible. One day, Nisubi won big. He won four car tires worth 84,000 yen. <gasps> and that got him super close to his goal. He finally surpassed one million with a bag of rice being his final prize. Oh, wow. And I'm sure he would have loved that sooner. Yeah. Isn't that torture? This the whole thing is absolutely horrifying. Can you guess how long it took him to meet his goal? Oh, my God. Okay. Six months. Well, I don't know how much. A year and a half? It took Nizubi 335 days to meet his goal. So almost a year. So once he met his goal, producers snuck into Nizubi's room in the middle of the night and informed him of his victory. They returned his clothes, blindfolded him, and took him to a surprise location. And he happily went, like, believing he was going to win something incredible for this year of torture. But when they removed his blindfold, he found himself in an unknown location. He was clearly far away from home, and he quickly realized he was in South Korea. <gasps> Why? So so he had to have gotten on a plane yeah. at some point. Or, yeah, I guess so. So his reward was that he could have free reign over an amusement park where he was able to enjoy all of the Korean food and ride on all of the park rides, multiple attractions. Uh Uh-uh, bitch. No! (laughs) I would fucking destroy every item around me if that was my prize after all that. I don't know if he thought that was his prize, but I think he was just like, okay, I won, and now I get to do this. And, like, he was... Literally didn't see people for over a, like, for about a year. And then he's, like, basically like a wounded puppy. Oh, my God. Like, oh, wow, I can eat any food I want and ride all these rides. Like, yeah, the food would be the only attraction to me, I feel like. But, dude, I'm so angry about this. (laughs) He probably thought, that's it. Like, I won. But, however, after finishing, 
He was taken to another apartment where he was once again asked to take off his clothes. No, I'm done, bitch. What are you talking about? Take off my clothes. I'm going home. I won. That's it. What? Well, he was taken to this other room and asked to take off his clothes and and he was challenged to enter more sweepstakes. No. No. Literally, Mallory, it was the same room he had just left. Oh, my God. No. They brought him into this room. It was literally the same room he had just left, but it was in Korea. Dude, fuck off. Fuck off, everyone. So he felt like he was shutting down. He told the producer he wouldn't do it and refused. Yes. But the producer was a good negotiator and wouldn't let up. The producer can burn in hell. I'm so mad. (laughs) So Nasubi agreed, but this time he had to win enough money to afford a flight with Japan Airlines to return home. Fuck off, dude. Fuck off. There, I would make such a stink. I would fucking scream in that room for hours. But you hours. have no money. Like, how are you going to get home? You, They can't do this to me. They cannot do this so to me. So how are you going to get home, Mallory? That's how we must have felt. That's all I'm saying. That must be how After he felt. After a year of but, being, like, naked and alone. But I feel like if he made a big enough deal about it... It would, it's, it's a human rights violation. Like, you can't, I don't know. I think it has something to say about Japanese culture as well. But also, like, I was wondering, he was gone for, like, almost a year. What does his family think? He didn't get to call them. I know. Well, they're probably watching him. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Nasubi was so ready for this to end and quickly met his goal after several weeks of entering competitions. The producers didn't expect him to meet his goal so fast, so they changed the rules, of course. Now he had to earn enough to afford a ticket in business class. And once he met that goal, he had to earn enough to fly first class. These goals were also met in a matter of weeks. When he had won enough to return to Japan, he was blindfolded, clothed, and taken to another apartment. This is outrageous. So you have to imagine, he he's like completely done. He has to try and win enough money to get a flight home, but he has to keep increasing the amount to get to first class. And then when he eventually meets that goal, he's flown but he's met with another apartment. Fuck So, when he removes his blindfold, he looked around to see the same four walls he'd been looking at for the last year. Nisubi instinctively took his clothes off, because that's what he was always asked to do, and he was expecting to continue the challenge. However... The walls of the apartment fell away to reveal that he was actually in a TV studio with a live studio audience. The crowd shouted in unison, Nasubi, congratulations on your goal! Nasubi looks so scared. He's speechless, 
He's naked. The hosts approach Nasubi and talk to him like he's a baby, congratulating him. All Nasubi can say is, My house fell down and there are all these people in here. When he says that, the crowd laughs. Why are they laughing? He asks. The hosts exclaim, It's over! You should be happy! No! <laughs> the hosts explain to him that he's been on television every Sunday for the last 15 months and has been live-streamed on the internet for 24 hours a day. Not only that, but the journal he's been writing in every day has been published and is now a best-selling book. Um, I just thought about <laughs> the people <laughs> whose job it was to use a joystick to cover his penis for 24 hours a day for a year. Yeah, man. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> That's your job. I just gotta show you this video so you can get a, a handle on what Misubi saw when the four walls fell down. Oh my down. god, that, yeah. <laughs> He was so just like, what the fuck is going on? Can you believe that's real? I cannot. This is horrible. This is actually terrible. He had no idea any of this was being broadcasted. And he was in total shock. Like, he was scared. Yeah, I would... The shit. fact that he was brought back into this room and he instinctively is like, guess I gotta get undressed. That's, one, just so fucking horrifying. Yeah. And then the fact that the walls fall down. He, he, he was like, a oh studio. my god, what the fuck? When the walls were coming down. That, oh my god, it's so disturbing. This poor man, dude. So the last year and three months have been a torturous lie. When Nasubi returned home, things were different. He was different. He reported being hot and sweaty wearing clothing for the first six months after his ordeal and had difficulty carrying on conversations after a long time. Though his show was a huge success and his journal was a bestseller, he went on to become a D-list celebrity in Japan like most reality show stars do. This is something I've never fucking thought about in my entire life. If you spend an extended amount of time naked, then when you wear clothes again, you're, like, not used to it. Yeah. That's fucking weird! I know, it's so weird. He was like, this is such a weird feeling. It's so hot and uncomfortable and itchy. So, like, we're used to wearing clothes... 
That's so weird. That's blowing my mind right now for some reason. And then also, like, he didn't talk to people, so he wasn't used to, Mm. like, having conversations. Yeah. And he could not. He couldn't. It took him six months in therapy to feel like he could have a normal conversation with people. Oh, my God. Nusubi went on to become a local talent in his native Fukushima. He became a dramatic stage actor and founded a stage troupe called Eggplant Way. He appeared as a guest on many Japanese shows, but never quite reached his goal of being a famous comedian. He did, however, successfully scale Mount Everest in 2016. Whoa, that is insane. Yeah. After two failed attempts in 2014 and 2015, and he attributes his fortitude to his experience on the show. Holy shit. I mean, yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. Be... Don't prepare you for anything. So, just to clarify, the door was never locked, and the producer asked why Nasubi didn't escape. And he said because... Well, he said he would do it, and he was brought up to keep your head down and do what you have to do, do what you're told, and push through hard times without making a fuss, and to listen Mm -hmm. to authority, which is like a Japanese. Yes. I have learned that because I have a Japanese coworker, and they just are, they don't want to make, they don't want to make waves at all. They're very polite. They want to do whatever somebody's requesting of them. They just don't rock the boat ever. So he thought it would be admirable to just like keep his head down, do what he was asked, accomplish the goal. And he didn't even question. He didn't even question it. Um, Plus, he was naked. He didn't have any clothes, and he had no money. So what was he gonna do if he yeah. if he left? He would have to do so naked and find someone to help him, which is just like. Was the original room like far away from his house? I have no idea hmm. where the room. I wonder was. if like he had gotten out initially, if he could like go home. I, I don't think he even knew where he was they took him from the audition right like the audition he took him they took him straight from the audition yeah yeah, blindfolded with headphones on he didn't know where he was going. so i'm assuming they confiscated like his cell phone yeah they confiscated everything yeah he couldn't have even yeah the audience found nasubi's perseverance and attitude honorable but we can all see that he was manipulated by authority for their own personal gain the producer and creator of the show, Toshio Tosukia, said in an interview, quote, I was enthralled by their struggle. I was thrilled by their personal struggle. So I was watching them succeed. I have no regrets for what I did. Fuck off, you piece of shit. Some of the other men who appeared on Dimpa Shonen didn't fare as well as Nasubi. One guy was forced to go to a gay club in Australia and hand out condoms until he was assaulted. What? The camera cuts out and you can hear the contestant scream. Another guy almost died of dehydration while hitchhiking in, in South Africa. Oh my god. What's 
South Africa. Why did they send him to South Africa? I'm just going to tell you about a few different challenges the show did. So in its four-year course, the participants completed about 20 challenges. The best known was Nasubi, obviously. The young comedian who was forced to live for 15 months naked in an apartment in Japan and later in Korea only on prizes won in sweepstakes. Another one was called Desert Island Escape. This one was about two comedians who were on a desert island with no food or clue of where they were, and they were told that they would have to build a raft and reach Tokyo. So they were given four months and given a swan-shaped pedalo and told to reach Tokyo with it. What's a pedalo? I think it's one of those, like, swan boats. Oh. Where they have to pedal. <laughs> what? And they In were, the ocean? Yes, and they were told to use that to go from India to Indonesia. Um, no. I'm so sorry, but that would take literally 5,000 years. Another, what the fuck? Yeah. Another um, challenge was a comedian named Takashi... Six and, nine, <laughs> no, <laughs> and a radio DJ from Hong Kong named Tsi Chu Yan hitchhiked from the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa to Nordkop in Norway. The two contestants oh. were forbidden to use their travel money and thus faced starvation, dehydration, and harsh weather conditions. At one point in the challenge. Ito collapsed in the Sahara Desert and was airlifted to a local hospital yeah. for treatment. No fucking shit. That this okay. The people who created the show have got to go to jail. They have to. They're not. I'm, I'm so mad. I know. Another one was a segment that tested loyalties of diehard fans of Central League teams. I think these were all baseball teams um, because baseball is very popular in Japan. Mm -hmm. The Yamuri Giants, the Hanshin Tigers, and and the Chinichi Dragons. The contestants would be confined to a single room with a TV that only showed their team's baseball games. Their faces would also be hidden from public view. If their team won, they got to eat dinner and a small portion of their face would be revealed to the audience. If their team lost, they would get no food and the lights would turn out, leaving them in darkness until the next day's game. If the contestants' favorite team went on a win streak, the quality of the food they would eat would increase A losing streak would mean that the contestant would go days in the dark without food. At the end of the season, the contestant would win an overall prize depending on how their team placed. Oh my god. So there were more shows that were like international versions um, that would go outside of Japan. And oh my god. They would... Some of the major challenges included... Singing the song Ladybug Samba to Yasser Arafat of the Palestine Liberation Organization. Yeah, what? Wait, what? Another one was <laughs> to meet foreign leaders and say, I hate you. 
And the leaders included Nelson Mandela of South Africa and Jimmy Carter of the United States. <laughs> Why? Another challenge was to play rock, paper, scissors with Vladimir Sironovsky of the Liberal Democratic Party of Russia. Oh, my God. And another challenge was to shave the beard of Fidel Castro of Cuba, which they failed to do. Yeah, fucking seriously? Another challenge included the one I mentioned. Tetsuro Dagawa went to LGBT bars in London, San Francisco, and Sydney with a hidden wireless microphone to distribute condoms. During one distribution event, Dagawa signaled that he was being sexually harassed by a man, but the staff of the program did not rescue him. The program that was ultimately aired had the audio recording of the process of Dagawa being sexually assaulted. Oh my god. Dagawa later reflected this to be the most horrific location shoot ever in his entire life. So this show was like very much a survivalist show. Yeah, but it's actually the most irresponsible thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. I mean, god damn. I'm appalled. Like actually appalled. This is crazy. And it just goes to show like reality shows. Think about it. Like they're all about us watching people suffer. Yeah. If you think about, like, yeah. um, what, my 600-pound life? Yeah. Which is true. just basically watching people struggle. Exactly. I mean, it's not, like, this extreme, but oh, no, it's still, no. But they're like, all watching people yeah. having to struggle. Yeah, like, absolutely. But it kind of says something about, like, the progressiveness about the U.S. versus japan too or like other countries i did read that japan during that time period was going through a terrible recession oh. and that like the only good in their life would be to see that someone had it more worse off than they did oh wow which that's is just crazy. awful right yeah that's horrible um oh shit but i mean yeah that makes sense people but... loved this show and they saw it like they saw him as a hero like oh my god he's doing it he's yeah but like they loved watching like him struggle oh my god anyway wow that's basically it but i got my sources from this american life oh from npr um i haven't listened to that in forever stephanie Yu was the journalist and it was called i am the eggplant and it was from june 27 2014 um, the Wikipedia page, there was an article called Nasubi and the True Story of a Reality Show That Destroyed Someone's Life by Letitia Joyner. Vimeo had a lot of the reality show on it that I watched. And then there was a YouTube video called The Most Evil Livestream Ever by Penguins Zero, who is the same guy who was Charlie from Second Life. Remember that little gremlin? He would make those videos where he'd go into Second Life and be this like, Charlie. No way, really? Yeah. (laughs) He was like, hi. Oh my god, and he pissed off this like biker gang. Yes. Yes. Oh. uh, 
I love that guy so much. I fucking forgot about that. He has great videos. That's amazing. But anyway, that's it. That was really good. That was... I'm infuriated, but (laughs) that's good. I'm always infuriated after your stories. I mean, I'm infuriated after yours, but... Yeah, mine was pretty infuriating. Sorry, guys. So, thank you to Eden for recommending that. That was amazing. Yeah, thank you. I literally looked at this and I was like, I could probably do an entire episode all about reality TV and all of these different stories because there's so Mm -hmm. many like connected to this well it makes me wonder like what other like around the world um like reality shows are just as if not more fucked up i mean i listed a few i didn't go into the details but yeah but like not american like like other countries that do there are more things that may not you can find them in the wikipedia page like related reality shows that are weird Oh my God. And also the same show that did his, it was like literally a show that did segments of different things. And he was just one segment. So all those other things I listed were different segments within the same show that I didn't even get into. Oh my God. Um, so there's a lot to uncover there. And also like just the craziness that is reality TV in the U.S. Like mm-hmm. Wife Swap. Like <laughs> the Duggars. Like fucking. Yeah the kardashians like everything it's just nuts there's so much to uncover there speaking of wife swap chicken nuggets is my family (laughs) chicken nuggets is my family (laughs) bacon is gone for money i keep losing at deals i'm not gonna make a deal anymore (laughs) king curtis wife swap episode episode if you have not seen it fucking watch it it is like the epitome of wife swap is the best she's not a christian <laughs> she's dark sided gargoyles <laughs> dark sided dark sided she has oh an god. entire episode on its own oh my god yeah marjorie True. or Mar. yeah i don't remember what her name was but anyway I heard something Oh shit! That was good. Great mini episode that ended up probably being five hours Almost long. Almost three hours long. Oh yeah. fucking hell, dude! Well, we really appreciate if you made it to the end. Correct. Please leave us a review if you enjoyed this episode. Apple or Spotify. Apple, Spotify. Join our Facebook group, our Instagram. We would appreciate it. I have to piss. Me too. Thank you guys for listening. And please email us nice compliments. Don't sign up for a random show that you are not aware of what's going to happen afterwards. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) All right. See y'all later. Bye-bye. Bye.